writers, welcome back to Story Magic, the podcast that will help you write a book you're damn proud of. I'm Emily. And I'm Rachel. And today we want to talk about balancing creativity with our personal lives with our guest, Corey Leger, who is a creative coach, an actor, and one of my oldest friends. (laughs) Welcome, Corey. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. This is going to be such a juicy conversation. Um, But before we dive in, can you share with folks kind of who you are and what you work on? Um, And I mean, we know how you got here. (laughs) um, Well, it all started when I was 14. (laughs) How you got to what you work on today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm Corey, obviously. Um, I started as an actor from – I mean, it's so cliche to say, but like everyone says, you know, from the ripe old age of I can't even remember when. Um, my grandmother <laughs> likes to take credit for bringing me to my first play at three years old. And I just stood on the chairs and was like captivated by everything happening, <laughs> which if you have children or are around children at all, you know that three-year-olds do not sit still or stay captivated. So I think that that has that says something. Um, so I've been acting since forever, but coaching came to me not that long ago. I've I've been coaching in some capacity off and on forever without really realizing that it was what I was doing. Um, but I really leaned into starting working with uh, actors and storytellers, a lot of people who are multi-passionate in the storytelling world, whether they be filmmakers or writers or actors or some combination thereof, a couple of years ago. And I haven't looked back. It's been incredible to help these people uh, bring these stories to life. And these everybody has a story and everybody is creative. I truly believe that. And so being part of the process that allows them to continue to embrace that part of themselves has been so rewarding. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love – can you define for us a little bit more like that term multi-passionate? Because I think it's so – it's so important because it's one of those things that I feel like people shy away from doing. Like we have a tendency to want to be like single passionate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the difference. Yeah. Um, I hear all the time, and I'm sure you guys have as well, like niche, be niche. Every Everybody yeah. needs to have a niche these days. And it's all about like getting hyper-focused and hyper – really going into one direction so that you become like the expert in it. And I know so many creative people who just feel so icky about that because when they say they're going to focus on one passion, what they're really feeling is grief and loss over all of the other passions (laughs) that they're saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore or it's not going to be my priority anymore. And that doesn't fuel creativity. All it does is fuel resentment and it Mm. fuels this like this guilt and this loss within mm-hmm. us that can cripple your creativity. So I believe the complete opposite is that you, if you are somebody who is multi-passionate, all of those things that you are excited about, and it doesn't just have to be creative passions, it's all of the passions in your life, including travel and family and like all of these other things that make you you, all of them are important and embracing all of them and finding space for all of them in your life is going to make you the happiest and most fulfilled version of yourself that you can be, which is therefore going to translate into whatever art form you want to convey that story within or mm-hmm. art forms, plural. Yeah. Um, 
So to me, that's what multi-passionate means is having all of these different domains of your life and areas of your life and interests and passions that you embrace fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how that definition includes not only like other creative passions, but just like general life passions. Like mm-hmm. you're not like just a writer or like just an actor. <laughs> right. And I know we're going to talk about that more today, but I like how you, how you expanded that definition. Cause when I asked the question, I was thinking just like multiple creative pursuits, um, which even in and of itself, I feel like is, it's so harmful and like hustle driven, this idea mm-hmm. that like, we have to specialize in something. Otherwise, we'll never like be good at anything. Um, I definitely have like felt that it's like that fear of a career change or a creative pursuit change or like something else you're going to do. It's like, oh, well, if, if I didn't start doing X when I was five, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's no point. Um And I just, yeah, it's that factory mentality of like, you should be good at one thing. So then you're really good at that one thing. And I like how you described it being, you know, how that builds grief and resentment um, for all the other things you don't get to um, pursue. Hmm. I love it. This is going to be so juicy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we've already started talking about this, but talk, you know, um, you brought the, some topics of balancing creativity with our personal lives um, Mm -hmm. to chat about today. Why have you brought it? And why is this so important to you? Because I know this drives like everything that you work on. Yeah. Um, So I actually try to avoid the word balance because Mm. in my head, the word balance means you need to – like if you visualize – I know this is a podcast, but if you visualize (laughs) a scale, which is what we think of when we think of balance – you need to take from one side to the, like if you take from one side, then it gets off balance and you're always moving one to the other or one to the other. And there's like this idea that if you lose from one side, you need to lose from the other or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Whereas I like to think of it as harmony Mm -hmm. because everything in all of the different pieces of your life. And we, we have a lot of different domains in our life, right? Just for some examples, like we've got family, relationships, we have play, we have financial, we have career, we have your environment. Like there's all these different domains of life. They all need to work together in order Mm -hmm. for you to be the most fulfilled version of yourself that you can be in that, not to overuse the word happy, but the happiest version of yourself that you can be. And I think that there's this idea of like balance, like I can spend this amount of time doing this and this amount of time doing that and then I am balanced. Like, no, there's going to be some give and take always and everything needs to work together because if you ever have conflict between what you say you want in your personal life and what you say you want in your career, that's going to like eat away at you and that friction is going to cause you know, hold yourself back in one domain or both or all of the domains without even realizing it. I always go to my example because I think it's easier to think of it with an example. So as an actor, one thing that I had been – had kind of been drilled into me for so long was this idea that if you are a successful, quote-unquote, successful actor and if you are a, quote-unquote, serious actor, then what you should be working towards is – a series regular on a network TV show. Like that is the label of success or be A-list or, you know, be on an original Broadway cast. Like those are kind of the three things that you can be and that is success as an actor. Well, I thought about 
what a network TV show actor's life was like, like a lead in a network TV show, and what I wanted to be as a mother. I'm a mom. I have two kids, um, and I have always known that I wanted to be a mom. The life of a lead in a network TV show and the life of the mother that I wanted to be did not work together. Actors on leads shows, they tend to work like 12-hour days, five, six days a week, nine months out of the year. Like ridiculous schedules. And I wanted to be a mom who could like go and volunteer in my kid's classroom or like be there at Little League and still be able to act. And I never for myself translated, hey, these two things that I say that I want don't work together in one single human being's life. (laughs) That's not how that works. And it wasn't until I was able to bring my awareness to that fact that there was this tension between the two like top goals I said I had for myself when I was able to redefine my definition of success as an actor oh my gosh, everything opened up for me. Like suddenly everything felt so much better because I wasn't defining my goals in my life by somebody else's definition. I was defining it by my own. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that it's so scary in any kind of creative career to define success on your own terms, not on somebody else's terms, not on the top dog's quote unquote, top dogs terms. Because when we look at people who are like hyper successful in a single field, a lot of times we're just looking at their career. Who's to say that the rest of their life is what they want it to be? Oftentimes it's not. And Mm -hmm. when I recognized that and I was like, oh, I'm not just trying to be like the actor Corey, but I want to be the human Corey. That was game changing. And so I I went into coaching to help other people find the courage and the tools and the skills they needed to get to that point for themselves as well. I have been watching or I just started Rain Wilson's documentary on Peacock, um, The Geography of Bliss. Have you heard of it? I haven't, but that sounds amazing. It's really good so far. I just watched the first episode and, um, you know, Rain Wilson's an actor, an amazing actor. And he has always struggled with anxiety and depression. And so he went on this journey to find out why some places in the world are happier than other places. And so that's Mm. why it's called the geography of bliss. He's traveling around the world to see like what makes the people in Iceland, like one of the most happy countries in the world when they live in like one of the most severe environments in the world. And I think like it just is stuck in my head right now because it touches on two of the things that you just talked about. And the first one is that the people in Iceland all have they the they talk about it as if they live multiple realities, but it's mm-hmm. basically the idea that they're multi-passionate. Like none of them are just one thing. They're farmers, they're politicians, they're bakers. Like every single person has a wide variety of things that they do that are just like accepted. And they there's a full conversation that Rain has where he talks about how in the United States you're basically told to have one lane and like you stay in your lane because people need to be able to define you to know who you are and if you start to deviate from that lane then Mm. you're almost ostracized a little bit you're like treated like you don't take life seriously or that you're not um, focused or that you'll never get to the expertise level 
of like something. Mm-hmm. There's a lot wrapped up in there, like what Emily was saying about hustle culture, which I fully mm-hmm. agree with, and like perfectionism and all sorts of stuff. But the happiest countries in the world, like just do whatever they want. <laughs> they can have multi, like s- multiple passions that they like to do. Um, and they are in, in harmony. Um, they, because especially again, I've only watched one episode, but in Iceland, like their world is constantly changing. The environment changes every single day. Like you could have snow and sun and rain all in the same day, like within an hour. And so they have a phrase that's just called, oh, it'll all work out. Like that's their mm-hmm. national Icelandic phrase. It's like, it'll work out. <laughs> and that's, that's like their attitude. But it's, it, I feel like they live in the harmony that you're describing yeah. because, especially with parenthood, everything changes every single day. <laughs> and like you can go through phases of teething where you don't sleep for days. Or it could be great. And like, yeah, like all of a sudden they're, oh my God, I slept through the night. What the heck? This is what it feels like to be a human again. (laughs) And it's never the same. But I think that's what's so striking about your your analogy about balance because the picture of balance is that once you have it, you maintain it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's impossible. Mm -hmm. Like you can't maintain that balance forever in a normal human being's life. Everything is constantly changing. So I really like this idea of harmony and yeah, kind of addressing it's something every single day. What do I feel like doing today? What's going to be healthy for me today? What are my what's my version of sex, success today? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like even on a daily basis, you need to define that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and like you said, especially as parents, like sometimes it is getting to work a little bit late so you can have that dance party with your toddler. Like I did that this morning. He wanted to dance with me and I'm like, you know what? This is more important than me working on some random email sequence that I need to do. Like yeah. I'm going to I'm going to hang out with him for 10 minutes and we're going to have a dance party. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this redefinite like not redefinition, but this like swapping of balance with harmony. Specifically because of what you were talking about with the loss, right? The the image that balance has of like, well, if I – and I think parenthood is one of those things where we feel that a lot, right? Where it's like, oh, if you're going to, you know, focus on work, then that means you're like giving up on part of, um, you know, your parenting. Or if you're going to focus on parenting, you're giving up on your career. And I just – I hate that because it's not like that's not how it works it's not how we should be looking at it I think the word harmony is such a better way of being like you know how can I be in harmony with the things that I want to do and the person that I want to be um today this month you know the next five years and like looking at that definition of success it's like not just what do I want my success with my writing to look like but what do I want my life to look like in five years um and that's, yeah, that's a beautiful way of of looking at that because people just, yeah, we get hung up on that word balance mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. And balance creates this image of like there's two buckets and we are so not just two buckets. <laughs> we are so many so buckets. True. Yeah. Yeah. We All had, the buckets. We had someone – this is like such a common question though that, that we get as coaches too and that we see in our writing communities of how do I find the balance between these two things and we've had – I remember a question that we got from one of our members a few months ago where he was he was literally asking, should I quit something I love so I could focus on writing? Mm. And 
no, like, I don't <laughs> think any of, no, no one should, but there's all, there's all sorts of pressures because he was feeling that the expectation that if you don't put a hundred percent of your energy behind something, you're not going to be good at it. And if you're not mm-hmm. going to be good at it, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. If you're not going to be good mm-hmm. at it, you're not going to make money at it. And if you're not going to make money at it, you're not going to be successful. And if you're not going to be successful, no one's going to care about you. So like there was all sorts of things wrapped up in that question, but that's where we find ourselves when the expectation is that we, um, that our creativity should be monetized or valued by that success versus I just like doing it. So I'm doing it. Yeah. 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 yeah, He, we had such a great discussion with him, but you could just see how much he struggled with what you were describing that friction Mm -hmm. where he was realizing that the writing life that he wanted was not lining up with the person that he needed to be. And so he was looking for areas to sacrifice, Mm. but sacrifice, I don't think leads to harmony. Mm -mm. (laughs) It's like, like, like brand that on like <laughs> a mug or something. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the resentment is when you sacrifice, yeah. it breeds that resentment. And I, the belief is that you must sacrifice to be successful or to be this multi passion or to be like a, 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 an expert in this field to achieve some measurement of mm-hmm. success or validation. Yeah. And I mean, when we're talking about parenthood, like, of course, you have to sacrifice some things to be a parent, et cetera. That's not what I'm talking about. But you don't have to give up a piece of your creative life Mm -hmm. to do something else that you feel like is more, air quotes, important. Mm -hmm. I'm actually reading right now. um, So Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way, also wrote a book called The Artist's Way for Parents. And Mm -hmm. I'm reading it right now. I've had it for like two years and it's been sitting there on my bookshelf. You're finally doing it. I'm finally (laughs) reading it and I'm so excited. I actually, I was, I texted my husband who literally was in the other room, but I texted him. I was like, I'm 12 pages in and I'm already loving this. And it's not that she's presenting ideas that I'm not familiar with. It's a lot of the same ideas in the artist way itself, but she is framing it within the world of parenthood that suddenly it's so validating because some of the struggles that I've had around it being like, well, yeah, like morning pages would be great if my kid wasn't waking up at 4 a.m. I'm exactly. not going to wake up at 3.30 to do this. And also she's in my room, so I can't set an alarm <laughs> without waking her up. Like, um, It was so validating to have things framed in a way that was like for me as a parent and mm. looking at creativity as something that can be shared and nurtured in your children and fostered in your children by you doing it yourself and letting either bringing them along on that journey or just letting them see you do it and letting them see you set boundaries around your own creativity. She talks about how she was a single mother and um, when her daughter was a toddler, she she had to write because that was how she was going, you know, not only was it how she was going to fuel and nurture herself, but it was literally her income stream. And so she would tell her daughter, not now mommy's working. And she would be sitting there in the room and her daughter would be playing with her toy horses. And she said that, you know, mommy's writing, mommy's writing. And her friends asked, like, did that breed resentment in your daughter? And she's like, no, it, 
fostered a love of writing for her. Suddenly her toy horses became journals and notebooks of her own. And she learned how to set boundaries around her own creative time because she watched her mother do it and model it for her. I love that. Rose is at the age, I'm, she's just about to be three. So she's at the same age, I think, as your son. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has now started, like, she knows when my computer comes out, mommy's working. And she'll start, she'll start saying, mommy's working. And so the other day, she, like, got her little toy laptop, which is over there in the corner. And she sat down at my desk and started typing. And I, like, have the cutest little pictures of it. But it did breed a little bit of, like, guilt of oh so she knows like why am I trying to hide it from her but she knows when I'm working and I have been worried that she's going to start thinking that she's not as important as my work because now she knows what it means for me to be working um so that's that's a little helpful to hear that no there's shades obviously of like (laughs) how to go about this but um yeah maybe she won't start to resent my computer desk and like being in the office because <laughs> she likes to play here. She likes to pretend to be me while she's on her computer. It's really funny. Oh, she's mm. so cute. She's a sweetheart. She's, yeah. Mm. So this is so good. I really want to talk about how, cause we've talked a lot about like redefining success, right. Mm-hmm. And like tra- finding that harmony and how do you start – because Rachel and I have talked a lot about how to set writing goals and how to set, you know, like how the, the mindset of setting goals for your projects, right? Mm-hmm. But what we're really talking about here is like how do you set goals for your life, <laughs> right? So right. I'm curious like when you're, you know, when you're working with clients and, and working on this with folks, where do you start? It feels mm. so big. Like how do you figure out like what you want, you know? Because we're not asked that very often. We're asked like what lane do you want to be in? But we're not asked like what what do you want your harm you know your harmonized life to look like? Yeah. Um that's a big question. So like where do you even start? Yeah, it is. It's a huge question and it's not, you know, like you said, we're so used to focusing on one thing and also we're used to quick results. Like everybody wants the the quick solve and the, you know, get rich quick scheme or whatever. Or, you know, how do you write your novel in 30 days? And like suddenly it's a huge success. Like everybody's looking for that fast result. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. there is no fast result with this kind of work. It is a long process of self-exploration and self-discovery. But I think what's beautiful about that is it's a long process because it's never ending. Because Mm. you can constantly be changing and tweaking what you think your vision of your life, what you want your vision of your life to be, not what you think it is, but what what it is for you in that moment. Like we were talking about before, it can change from day to day, week to week, month to month. I think it's important to have kind of a big picture of the the big picture ideas that you're working towards. Um, But even those can shift and, and flux as as you learn new things about yourself and what actually brings you joy, it is okay to change your mind and it is okay to to pivot or to shift or to tweak. All of these things are fine. But as far as a starting place, as like a, a way to even start the conversation, um, I like to look at um, – I like to have my clients look at a life pie. Um, you might have heard of it as a wheel of life, but it's this – 
it's what I was talking about before with those ideas of the domains of your life. So what you do is you kind of use you zoom in on the different areas of your life. So, okay, what do I want my relationship with my family to look like? What what does that mean? And it can be concrete. I want this many kids. I want X, Y, Z. Or it can be abstract. I, I want to embrace the ideas of passion and creativity within our home, you know, those kinds of things. And then you shift, okay, what do I want my financial life to look like? What do I want my career life to look like? And you dive deep into each of those domains. Um, I can share a resource with you and the listeners if that would be helpful. Um, And once you've kind of dug deep into each of those, then you pull yourself back out and you look big picture. Okay, I've done the work in each of these domains, but how do they fit together? How do all of these puzzle pieces actually work? I want to be a multimillionaire, but I want to not work at all. Okay, well, how you know how do those <laughs> things fit together? Um, where is the you know where is some places there may be compromise, or some places there just needs to be some some creative thinking around it as far as you know, maybe this hasn't been done before or done by somebody I know, but that doesn't mean that it can't be done. What are the things that I can be doing in my life to be working towards that goal? I had a client one time who um, was really struggling with – she was starting a theater company and she was struggling with this idea of being a creative director but still wanting to be an actor. And she's like, well – no creative director at any kind of successful theater is also an actor. Like that doesn't happen. And I was like, or it hasn't happened yet, or you haven't seen that role model. That doesn't mean that that can't be your version of your life. That just means you need to tweak the way that you approach some things in being a creative director or in being an actor to let both of those things coexist in your world. Mm. It just means that you might not follow the normal path for either of those things, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen. It just means things need to need to tweak, shift. You might need more help. Maybe you're a co-creative director so that half of the year you can be acting. Mm-hmm. There are so many different options and different ways of adjusting things. You don't have to follow one written path for each objective you have for your life. There's not just one way of approaching anything in life. There are so many different angles you can come at it with. And you need to just find the angle that works for you. Um, And then the other piece of this that I think has been paramount for me, for my clients, for anybody who's kind of doing this deep work of figuring out what your – I call it your dream creative life, um, what that dream creative life looks like for you is – ongoing reflection. And I, for me, that takes the form of morning pages, which again is the concept that Julia Cameron um, presents in the artist way. But it's this idea, and I don't think it has to happen in the morning. She's very adamant that it has to happen in the morning. I think if it happens at any point, it's great. Um, definitely doesn't always happen in the morning for me. So I tend to call them pages instead of morning pages. Your daily pages. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I like that. Daily pages. Nice. Um. It's free flowing, three pages of free flowing writing that just can be anything. I'm going to be honest, a lot of times it's me whining about things <laughs> or lots of to do lists. Yeah. I like to do lists. Um, but it just gets it out. And you've, um, or at least for me and for a lot of my clients too, have found that the things that are important to you keep coming back. And the places in your life where there is this maybe unnoticed or unspoken friction 
are what come up a lot in your pages. And when you can bring that attention to it, then you can address it. But you can't address it until you know it's actually there. Yeah. So having some kind of way of like bringing things to the surface is super important. Yeah, I found journaling to be really powerful in that way as well. I think um, we talk a lot about Amy McNee. Um, her her Instagram is inspired to write and she is, she also got her inspiration for her journaling stuff um, from Julia Cameron. And um, so I took some of her journaling classes and and that's exactly what happened. It brings, it brings those, those ideas and um, just like what's going on in your subconscious up to the surface so you can examine it. And one of the exercises that Amy I can't remember if Julia also does this, but one of the exercises that Amy um, suggested once that I tried that I find to be really helpful in this like future success definition is she she asked it was a journaling prompt I think to to write down like what like if you were to visualize five years from now right like everything that you're working towards five years from now what does a perfect day look like just like from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed like what does that day look like. Um, and obviously, like, I, I probably do this exercise maybe, like, once every six months, and it changes constantly, which I think is um, is an interesting way to allow yourself to learn more about yourself and, like, what you actually want. But the power of it is that in those small things, like, I want my morning to look like this, you start to learn not only what do you want from your career but what do you want your your life to look like what do you want your mindset to look like what do you want how do you want to approach your life and approach your day and approach your relationships and i found that to be really helpful because even though so much of it for so long felt so far away there were things i could do in the moment to start to work towards that vision um, and I think, Corey, you had a post that was very similar to this the other day, which is why I was thinking about it because I was like, oh, yes, I've done that. Um, and it's it's so powerful because because it brings that creative stuff and that life stuff together into like that that single place of like, what, how can you start to adjust your life to make that vision possible um, in like the smallest ways? Yeah. It's all about those micro shifts, right? It can be so daunting and intimidating to make a giant leap or feel like you have to take this giant leap. But yeah. oftentimes it's those – those tiny little shifts that get you one, you know, micro step closer to what you want that can be so rewarding and so fulfilling. And if we just keep taking those tiny little baby micro steps, eventually we get there. But if you're yeah. always stopped and stuck because it feels like such a big leap, you're never going to get there because you're never going to take that giant big leap. Yeah. Yeah, it like makes – because sometimes I think it can be overwhelming to be like, where do I want to be in five years? Because mm-hmm. it just feels so big and far away and impossible <laughs> in so many ways. Um, but when you can look at, you know, the big buckets of things that you want to have changed and then be like, okay, how can I take a tiny step towards that? Like I think the first time I did this exercise was probably whew, three or four years ago. And, um, and I remember being like, oh, wow, I really wish – that I could just not, you know, not work. I think I was still working my day job. So I was like, I just wish I could write, you know, until I didn't have to do anything except write or whatever I wanted until 10 a.m. or something like that. But at that point in time, I was, I was structuring my days so that I was like working like really early. And I remember having this moment of like, oh, I don't have to do that. Like I could restructure my day to like, yeah, I can't take the whole day off 
yet or I can't like free up my morning yet because I have this day job that I have to do. But I can make this tiny micro shift to like open up a little bit more morning time for my writing. Um, and it it felt like so much agency and like power. Like, oh, okay, I'm empowered. I can like I can take steps towards this, even though I feel trapped in this job, even though I feel trapped in this situation. Um, it's like taking that, taking that power back a little bit, I think. I love that. It's not, you know, so often people are focused on when can I quit the day job? But it's it doesn't have to be that giant of a step right away. It can just be yeah. how can I restructure my day so that I can use the time that I feel the most creative for my creative work instead of for my day job. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I think these exercises, people use them as the end point of like, I want to work towards that. Mm -hmm. But more often than not for me, it tells me more about what's going on in my current world than anything else. Mm -hmm. Because like the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking, what do I want five years from now? It was like a good night's sleep. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like, okay, like these exercises wherever you vision envision yourself five years from now can be can be anything but there's also a lot that you can draw from like what you're struggling with in this current moment that then can help you find those next step pieces those micro shift pieces um because I don't know I mean yeah I would love to have like a beautiful house on the hill and be able to write all day but I also would like to like eat a meal by myself so like <laughs> That's more about my current life, right? So maybe I'll just eat a meal by myself right. and like start making those tiny micro shifts. And maybe I like don't have to be in charge of every meal of the day and I can work towards shifting that away. Um, yeah, it's just I'm thinking so much more of like, okay, this is way more informative for not where I want to work to, but what I need to change now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can get so mired, I think, in like just how we've been doing things and it becomes automatic and we don't question why we've structured our days certain ways or why we're making certain decisions. And when we start to think about Ooh, what what is, I mean, really, it's like, what does freedom and happiness look like five years from now? That can open up, like you said, like, oh, this is what I want right now. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to throw another shift. version of that exercise out because I love the ideal yeah. day exercise. But for me, I actually felt like stilted by it being a single day because I was like, mm. I don't want my days to look the same every day. So mm. I opened it up to be like an ideal week and let myself explore like a few different versions of what my days could look like in day. different capacities. Yeah. And that helped me approach that exercise with more joy because I found that because of all the different creative passions that I have, trying to fit it all in a 24-hour period meant that I got no sleep. <laughs> like it just didn't work. <laughs> um, but when I opened it up to a week or even like thinking about the year and being like, okay, well, I want my summers to be devoted to this and I want my fall yeah. to be devoted to that. That allowed me to get from the exercise what I think the purpose of the exercise is without feeling yeah. like constrained by the 24-hour parameters. So if anybody listening feels that way about the like ideal day exercise, just open it up for yourself to be a week or a month or even like the year at, at a big picture level. Yeah. I love that. That's a good point because I think for some folks, thinking about a whole year could be really overwhelming, right? And you won't get to that like the 
the juicy specifics mm-hmm. that we're talking about with like, what do you want that morning to look like um, so that you can start to get to those really, those really detailed specific things you can take action on. So like, I love that from a day to a year, <laughs> what do you want your life to look like? Whichever step feels least overwhelming (laughs) or some combination thereof like you said there can be some really beautiful discoveries when you do focus on like a single day or even a single week um but then big picture especially for anybody who kind of has those those bigger projects that have long timelines like writing a book Mm, or creating a film or anything like that that isn't going to happen on the day to day level it's I mean, it does happen on the day-to-day level, but it also happens over a larger timeline in terms of, you know, what focus is going towards what part of the project. So having kind of those those variations. And also for people with children in school, your your ideal day in the summer is going to look very different than your ideal yeah. day during the school year. Um, or it might. I'm not going to say yeah. it will, but it might look very different and that's okay too. It'll probably look different depending on what age your kid is too. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't change much for me right now because none of my kids are in school. But I do have this – I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel where my, my children will eventually be in school. Actually, my toddler starts like three half days a week in September for preschool. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Brain so crazy. Crazy. I know. That's crazy. That's it's wild. <laughs> but I'll still have my four-month-old. So, <laughs> Okay. So – we talked about defining success, right? And and getting some insights on how you can shift your day today. But let's talk about priorities because that's like the next step, I feel like, mm-hmm. in the day-to-day piece of like moving towards that life that you you really want, that harmony that you really want for yourself. And we've talked about how we don't like the word sacrifice. We don't like balance. We don't like how those things are tied together. But – we do need to prioritize. <laughs> and so how do we prioritize in a way that doesn't feel like sacrifice and doesn't feel like breeding resentment? I love that. I have been having my clients do this exercise and it's been really eye-opening for me, for them, for everyone. So I'm going to present it to you all as well. Um, I'm a big advocate for approaching your days and your week with intention. So knowing what it is you're prioritizing in the week as far as what are the the big things that you want to tackle this week. And again, we're not just talking about career, but it could be life things too. Um, you know, anything that is kind of top of mind, top of priority list for you. But I think that the value comes in recognizing if those things don't happen, why didn't they happen? Mm. So one thing that I I encourage people to do is let's say that you wanted to, um, you know, let's say that you wanted to finish. I know that you guys don't like page counts, but just for simplicity's sake, um, let's say like you wanted to get to like you wanted to write 3,000 words this week or whatever it is, and you only wrote 1,000. I have people take a look at it and use the words – I didn't prioritize X, Y, Z, whatever it was the goal was. There's this idea around priority. And maybe that's not a great example because you might have prioritized your writing time, but the words didn't come. So let's think of it more as I wanted to write this amount of time and then that time Mm -hmm. wasn't prioritized. Um, I think that there is this societal stigma around not prioritizing work things as being bad. Mm -hmm. And I want to reframe that. Because 
It's true. You didn't prioritize it. If you said you were going to spend four hours writing this week and you didn't spend four hours writing this week, you didn't prioritize it. But that doesn't mean that it was the wrong decision. Why didn't you prioritize it? Did you not prioritize it because all of a sudden your entire house got strep throat and like everyone was miserable? Okay, then you prioritized your health and your well-being and your family's health and well-being over writing for four hours. Maybe that was the right decision for you this week. And that's okay. Yeah. Instead of prioritizing your writing, you prioritized your family's health and well-being. That's fine. Bring awareness to why it wasn't prioritized so that you can either give yourself the grace of knowing that you actually prioritized what is truly more important to you or the honesty of, you know what, I actually just kind of went down a rabbit hole of Instagram and like was on Reels for three hours and that's why I didn't get to my writing time. Okay, then you prioritized the, you know, the dopamine hit of Instagram over your writing time. Is that how you want to be – is that what you would like to be prioritizing moving forward? If the answer is no, then great. You've brought some awareness to what it is that you need to shift in order to really prioritize the things that you truly do want to be prioritizing. But I yeah. think that there's this idea that if you don't meet all of your goals and checklist items, like check, 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 then you failed. And that isn't always the case. It's so important to know what actually happened in your day or your week that either allowed you to do the things that you wanted to prioritize or forced you to prioritize something else instead. I think that that bringing that awareness to – I didn't prioritize X, I prioritized Y, can mm -hmm. help you in the long – like over time, bring your priorities to where you want them to be and help you reestablish habits or bring attention to bad habits that aren't serving you in the long run. Yeah. I love this idea of bringing awareness to that gap. And I think you could, you could probably do it um, – in the positive as well. Like, yes, I did reach 3K or I went to 5K or five hours or whatever your measurement was um, and analyzing like, why? I think that question can be really important as long as it's, um, or really insightful, as long as it is coming from a place of unshaming, mm -hmm. which I think is what you're getting at. Um, because like, yeah, okay, maybe you didn't reach your your hour mark for writing because you went, you know, you kept going down these Instagram rabbit holes. And instead of shaming that, right, we can ask, well, why did I do that? Right? Mm -hmm. Why did I do? Why did I prioritize this other thing? Not just what did I prioritize, but why? Mm -hmm. um, to get at, okay, I'm terrified of this next scene. <laughs> or I don't know where to go next in my story. Um, or the, the emotion of this scene was not in line with my emotions this week and I just couldn't go there, right? Um, and so I think we can we can use that exercise. I like this idea of like, I prioritized this over this and then just like no judgment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no judgment in there. Just why, why did you do that? Um, that's a really good uh, – I just really like that approach because I think it brings that harmony piece into it of like mm – -hmm you know, how do I get more in harmony with what I want to be doing and how I want to be feeling and um, how I want to be talking to myself. Because I think that um, that shame piece can be hard too, right? In the harmony piece is like, we need to, we should all work on how we talk to ourselves. Um, and that's a, that's a, a good way to do that. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah, you. I, go ahead, Rachel. Um, I, about at 
for about like the fifth, first 15 minutes of pretty much every coaching call I do, we talk about this exact thing. And we don't use the term prioritize, but it's the same idea. And we start with like, how did this week go? What happened? And that's usually like the first question that I ask is like, what happened this week? And inevitably, there's always some sort of, oh, I... I got, I felt really good about this, or I didn't get to what I had planned to do because of this very valid reason, but there's always some sort, and like in the first four months of our coaching program, there's always some sort of attachment to, I didn't get to this thing and I feel terrible about it. And we have to like explore that. Like one of my clients is a teacher and she was going through a crisis at work and didn't get to what she wanted to do, but also like was carrying all of the stress of that crisis on top of feeling like she didn't achieve her goals. And we spent almost our entire call just talking about that because we are, like you said, conditioned to believe that if you don't achieve these things, that's somehow a bad thing, but really you're literally just surviving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a huge eye-opener for me of sometimes you just survive and like you made it. That's amazing. Congratulations. You're here because often (laughs) it doesn't feel like you can get through it, but you do. And that deserves to be celebrated just as much as hitting that goal or meeting whatever expectation it was that you had. Um, But if you, if you, I don't love the term prioritization because it does feel like every day is different for me. I love, I do really like the idea of letting go of the stigma. The stigma is very present in my life, but I do really like the asking, so what happened in this week? What, what did I really like and what did I not like and why? And the Mm -hmm. awareness is really what we're aiming for. Where, where did you spend your time and why? Because it's not like you did nothing. I hate that yeah. when people are like, I didn't do anything this week. I'm like, probably not. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> you probably did a lot. You probably did a lot of stuff. Uh, but you're looking at it in the framework of I didn't do a lot of X because yeah. you were doing all of the other things that it requires to stay alive. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of stuff for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And I also want to clarify like if you are in so- sometimes, and I've been in this spot of like being in a a depression state where it does feel like you're doing nothing because you're in that depressive state, that still is like, that is what I mean by you're surviving. And yeah. that's a really big feat for a lot of people. It's to just make it through. Mm-hmm. That's still is very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can hyper-focus I think as a culture, we have a tendency to hyper-focus on whatever that goal you set was. Mm-hmm. Um, and goals, we've talked about this before, goals have, they're a very useful tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to have that awareness when we do or don't meet them as to why we were able to or weren't able to um, without that judgment and shame. And something else that I think can be really challenging for creatives around the idea of goal setting. I'm a huge advocate of goal setting, but maybe not in the way that everybody is used to thinking about goal setting. Something that's important to remember is with creative pursuits, there is very often not a linear path. It isn't like you're going to make the same milestones on a consistent basis and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of invisible work that goes into being creative. 
And that invisible work can be really frustrating and feel like you are doing nothing because you don't have anything to quote unquote show for the effort and the work that you're putting in. But I love, I heard this analogy one time and I, it has stuck with me. Um, Emily, you'll appreciate this with your science background. Um, if you take an ice cube and you put it on your counter and you were to measure the temperature of that ice cube, that ice cube's temperature would slowly start to climb from 32 uh, up towards 32 degrees. But if you're observing the ice cube, nothing is changing. It is still an ice cube sitting on your counter. It looks like nothing is happening. But under the surface, the temperature is rising, 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 rising. But you don't see that change until it help, hits the melting point, until it hits 32 degrees. That's invisible work. There's all this internal change and shift and growth happening within that from the outside world, from, you know, tangible marks of quote unquote success or growth, you might not see any of them. I'm sure there's a lot of examples in the writing world as actors. It comes up all the time in all of the effort we put into our craft and growing as performers. That doesn't always translate to bookings. That doesn't always translate to, you know, any any kind of obvious metric until all of a sudden it does, until all of a sudden you hit that melting point and things start to actually happen for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, we do talk about that a lot in writing because I think it comes in, in two in two ways. One is, right, like the your leveling up of your skills takes time and um, and you don't always see those skills clicking into place until they've been, you know, brewing for a while. And then also just with story, like the story you're working on in general, our subconscious does a ton of background work, so much background work. And so, yeah, it's been... It's taken a lot of awareness for me to realize that, especially, you know, personally from my process, that's a huge part of it is like giving space and time to allow things to sink in and then they'll, you know, kind of explode out of me. But it's like feels like nothing for a while. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it's really important to have awareness around how what your process looks like in that way as well. Cause it's, yeah, we're not factory line workers. It's not going to be the same, the exact same every day. I think timeline is a really big question mark that often like it, it changes all the time, especially after you become a parent or if you take on extra responsibilities or whatever it is that looks that's in your life that is taking up time. It affects whatever the time expectations you had for this goal was. And especially in like in the writing, I don't know if it, this is what it's like for actors, but in the writing world, you um, like all of the work you're doing for your book, it's, it's like, boom, it's out. And then all of a sudden, okay, I did it. Like it's done. <laughs> but all of that work that still happens behind the scenes and the subconscious work that still is impactful and meaningful, meaningful and fulfilling and successful work. Mm -hmm. But somehow, yeah. unless you get your book out, it, it doesn't mean as much. Um, and that's obviously not true. But then when you take a life that is multi-passionate and multi, you have all these responsibilities, that timeline extends. And that was a big thing for me of finding that friction at the beginning of our call, what we were talking about of like, the life that you expect for yourself and like 
the timeline you held for your goals, like they probably don't align and there's nothing wrong with that. And especially if you need to push that timeline back, that happens. That's life. That's what it looks like to find in my life. Harmony is knowing that I can either bring something forward or push something back depending on what my life looks like. But there's all sorts of attachments to that idea too. And all sorts of stigmas to the idea that you have to rush to complete something, Mm -hmm. but you don't (laughs) like why you don't it's, it's all these expectations. And I think being honest about what you can do in your phase of life might feel uncomfortable at the beginning because being honest about what you actually are capable of doing on in a specific time frame um, might be different than what you expect yourself to be able to do. But once you bring that honesty to it and you let go of the shame, then you're like, oh, well, that's like not a big deal if I publish my book next year versus this year. Mm-hmm. And then all that pressure has gone and you can let go of the shame narrative and start actually taking the concrete steps towards that thing instead of letting the guilt and the shame um, fester and create the resentment for the rest of the pieces of your life. Because um, I... I just timeline is something that is constantly shifting when you are trying to find what I would call balance, but I love the idea of now calling it harmony. Yeah. It's not going to, I do feel like people have unrealistic expectations that then they are. So they hold on to for way too long and way too hard when they just need to let it go and reevaluate depending on whatever phase of creativity they're in at a specific time. Yeah. Yeah. I love this idea you had Corey of, um, in that conversation, right, when we have these conversations with writers, it can be really painful to be like, oh, my timeline is not what I thought it was going to be, right? That feels like loss. <laughs> and I think what I've really gathered from this conversation with you, Corey, is bringing in, okay, but what are you gaining, <laughs> right? Like, what are you focusing on instead? What are you choosing to prioritize over that fast timeline? And how can you, like, celebrate that? And like really claim that instead of feeling like, oh, I've just extended it for two years because that's realistic for me and it feels like failure, but whatever. Like it's more, you know, it's balance, right? Like that's that sacrifice resentment. Like instead of looking at it that way, look at what you're doing instead, you know, mm-hmm. um, because you are, you can choose to extend that timeline for very specific reasons that you can then own and, and celebrate. Um, mm-hmm. And that might change your mindset around it. Yeah. Ugh, love it. Awesome. Thank you. This has been amazing. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Corey, can you tell us more about how, how can people work with you? Where, where can they find you? All of the things. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. This has been a, an absolute pleasure. And I know Emily said it at the beginning that we've been like amazing best friends for so long, but I feel like sometimes people say that and they don't actually mean it or they've been like work <laughs> best friends. I just want to caveat. We have actually been best friends since we were like 14 years old in high school. School. So this has been a dream to have this conversation. <laughs> and Rachel, it's been a pleasure as well to get to know oh. you more. Um, so I am on Instagram at creating with Corey. Corey is spelled C-O-R-R-I-E. I'm also my website is creatingwithcorey.com as well. And I'm going to share with these lovely ladies some resources that we kind of talked about that can walk through the life pie and, and some goal setting stuff as well. Um, 
And feel free to email me too. I'm Corey at CoreyLeger.com. Yay. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you. All right. If you want to build a successful, fulfilling, and sustainable writing life that works for you, you've got to get on our email list. Sign up now to get our free email course, The Magic of Character Arcs. After seven days of email magic, you'll have the power to keep your readers flipping pages all through the night. Link in the show notes. We'll see you there. Thanks, everyone.